HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Hearst Ranch is a proud sponsor of the Heritage Radio Network. Learn more about Hearst Ranch at HearstRanch.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. We're a member-supported food radio network broadcasting over 35 weekly shows live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. Join our hosts as they lead you through the world of craft brewing, behind the scenes of the restaurant industry, inside the battle over school food, and beyond. Find us at heritageradionetwork.com. You are listening to Meant to be Eaten, and I am your host, Andrea Ween. Today, we're talking tea. Obviously, tea culture spans thousands of decades, thousands of years, from India and China to Japan and Britain. But what exactly is tea? And what do tea purists think of the rise of fast, casual tea joints? Are these types of places watering down the meaning and significance of this historic brew? Joining me in the studio today is Timothy Tsu, proprietor of the highly exclusive Mandarin Tea Room, and Zach Mangan, founder of the Japanese tea shop Kettle in East Williamsburg. Tim and Zach, welcome to the show. Thank you for having us. Thanks for having us. So to kick this off, can each of you tell me a little bit about your area of tea expertise the types of teas that you source and the philosophies behind each of your business? Shall I go first? Tim, we can start with you. <laughs> well, um, I'm in mainly Chinese tea culture and tea brewing. So we don't do ceremony, but we do tea tasting. Focus on traditional oh. tea, uh, Chinese tea tasting, basically, on one-on-one. What is the difference between a ceremonial tea tasting and a tea tasting that you're talking about? <laughs> well, a lot of people come in and say, oh, I'm going to a ceremony. But um, it's really not a ceremony. A ceremony for me is um, a person-to-person interactions. Um, and there's a lot of uh, structure. There's a lot of etiquettes to it. Um, but tea tasting is basically a conversation from a person to tea directly. So you... You, you get a lot easier because you, you just need to appreciate the tea. Okay. We're going to come back to exactly what that means and what it means to be a Chinese tea master, which is, I know, something that you've been working toward. But Zach is here, and he's pouring up tea for us. So I guess to start, what, what's, uh, what are we drinking? I'm trying to do this at the same time and talk. This was poor planning on my part. <laughs> so this is actually, I'm making some tea for everyone that just arrived today from Japan. It's a a spring pick tea that gets cold stored for six months, and we we just have it available in the store for for this month. So I thought it was fitting 
to celebrate the season and bring this in. So, um, but getting back to your question, um, I work in the area of Japanese tea. So my uh, area of focus is in a sense narrow and in another sense very broad, but I only focus on the country of Japan. So I work there personally sourced teas from uh, many prefectures, which are more or less states in Japan, um, work directly with the growers. We have a facility that we repack in Japan, and then we airship things in weekly. We have a store. We also work with restaurants and sell online. And uh, just generally, anything having to do with Japanese tea, I'm involved with. You okay. have no idea how good this smells right now in this room. <laughs> <laughs> Describe it. Describe it for us. Umame, green, fresh. But, you know, it's fall. It's interesting because it's an aged tea, right? But it's beautiful. The color, everything here is beautiful. Oh, thank you. Yeah, this is, uh, not to be off topic already, but this is not common that tea is aged in Japan. So they actually seal it in um, uh, jars, ceramic jars, and put it in cold storage so that it, it mellows the tea a little bit. It also brings out some of the savory quality a little bit more than the, you, if you had the same tea in the spring. So it's kind of a celebration of, uh, of the season. That's per- He's good. That's it's perfect. a good, a good, good tea yeah, taster right, over directly there. Into the we mic. have a master here. We have to be proper. <laughs> <laughs> so that kind of segues, I guess, a little bit into what is tea? Because I think people think they can go down to their local coffee shop you can get infusions, is what I would maybe call them, of things of rose flowers or hibiscus or these types of things. But tea, true tea, is something different. How about I let you go first? Sure. So tea, in the sense that the true tea comes from uh, a plant, Camellia sinensis. So if you're drinking actual tea, true tea, you're drinking uh, something that's been harvested from that plant. Um, the processing that happens after is where... Uh, the potential of the plant lies. So it could mean that you're drinking a white tea, uh, very lightly processed, or a black or red tea, as it's called in in Asia. Um, That would be something that was oxidized much longer. But uh, where the confusion comes is people often say, oh, I love tea, I drink chamomile every night. And it's an interchangeable word here in the West, but the meaning of tea really does lie in products made from that plant. Uh, Anything else would just be, you know, a steeped herb or leaf or something from another, a root. It can be anything. And, you know, I you know, people can still say chamomile tea. I mean, I'm not out to say, no, 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 that's not right. But (laughs) if you are trying to aim at the heart of what true tea is, it is something coming from uh, the Camellia sinensis plant. It also could be a tisane herbal mixture of this too. Like, you know, people put lavenders in the tea and it's still a brew of it. So it doesn't really matter, I think, as long as you're interested in trying it out, um, it gives you a lot of benefits on it. The, the plant itself is a medicine plant. Mm-hmm. So when now when we're talking about the main differences between Chinese tea and Japanese tea, what does that difference look like? Whoa. Tim, why don't you go? You can start on this one. Well, we always have to kind of find the origins of things, right? And I think this is human nature in a sense. I think... Um, they all came from one place, in a way, what I, what I feel. And it basically came from the Himalayas. The ranges from the Himalayas is very big. It's coming from Tibet all the way down to Vietnam. It went through Nepal. It went through, uh, you know, Yunnan, all these ranges of it. But tea plants, the oldest tea plants uh, right now still grows in Yunnan. is 3,600 years old. Um, so if we kind of base on that as a fact, so it, it comes from that region. But three, four thousand years ago, there's 
probably know Japan, know China as assisting China, or know even any other country that we know now. So it's different. Um, so I would say the original of where tea came from is over in that region, and it's the indigenous people that, um, the tribal that use it not as you know a leisure drinking um, beverage, but it's basically a medicine to heal, and that's how it really um, spread to the, to the world in a way. Right, and I think that the interesting thing about the tea plant as it exists today is it's a carrier of culture. So as it traveled the route, whether it had, you know, came down through Vietnam, through southern China, and had the diaspora into Japan, Taiwan, and other countries, um, it sort of assimilated to the, the culture of the, you know, of the, the people living there. And to kind of touch on your initial question of one of the differences uh, outside of its origin is processing is different. So if you were to, for example, buy a green tea from uh, mainland China or from Japan, there would be uh, cultivars that are unique, uh, much like wine grapes. So for all intents and purposes, the, the plant has uh, can embody the characteristics of a grape, where you have Pinot Noir, you have you know, Cabernet, those are going to have, uh, you know, reflect the, the bio, biology of the plant. And the same thing happens within the Camellia sinensis and then processing as well. And that, I think that's one of the areas where you see the most, um, you know, clear distinctions between styles of tea are uh, how the tea is processed once it's harvested. And that starts from how the soil is prepared, where the tea is grown, how it's picked, how long it stays somewhere before it's harvested, or pardon me, before it's manufactured. All those types of things are, are, are very unique. And within Japan, they're unique between the north and the south. And in China, which is, you know, an incredible range of, 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 you know, unique styles and regional teas, which Tim knows a lot about and can tell you more about, it's, it's vast. So there are huge differences. Um, but those differences also, I think, lie within the countries themselves. And that's something for me that's really interesting about Japan is, you know, I said in the beginning, it's uh, specific, but also broad, because I could, you know, I deal with one country, but I see every time I go back, there's unique differences within Japan and how, you know, tea is processed and ultimately what it tastes like. Well, let's talk about that a little bit, because I know, Tim, you're from Hong Kong, so it makes a little bit more sense why Chinese tea. But, Zach, what drew you to Japanese tea? My parents would love to know the answer to that question, because they <laughs> always ask me. Uh, you know, I, I, it's hard for me to, to say exactly why, but I remember the first time, you know, in college, I, you know, was interested in eating well and trying to be, you know, lead a healthy lifestyle, and I had drank tea, uh, you know, as a drink when I was a kid, but nothing ever serious, you know, and, and I, as I started to learn more about tea, I was actually on a trip in, in France, and I was exposed to high quality Japanese tea for the first time. And I remember smelling it and having that moment where it's like you get in a hot bath, you know, it's like you're react, you don't, you know, you're not in control of it. It's just like, oh, that's so nice, you know, and that was a really transformative experience. And from then, as I happened to do, I got very, uh, you know, I went down the rabbit hole, as they say, and Japanese just, tea yes, and suddenly I was driving from New, you know, from Boston to New York to go to stores here and asking if it was okay if I didn't put it in the refrigerator until I got home. I was you know, very, I really wanted to take care of what I bought and learn about it and started ordering from Japan. And then when I moved to New York, I ended up, um, wanting to work in tea aside from my uh, former career, which is a jazz musician. You know, so I, I began my professional career in 2008 and then just used, you know, the resources in the United States as much as I could and then started traveling to Japan. So respect. 
Yeah. yeah, jazz music, I can see the parallels between the obsessive personalities. Those are two things that could be so, you could be so intense on. I, I could never have imagined how well it would serve me I- improvising, you know? I mean, that's the, the sort of what I spent so much of my time and still do doing. And now I just, it's a sort of different expression of it, but there's definitely parallels. It's funny how, how you said it's hard to explain to your parents. It's mm-hmm. like, it's worse for me to explain to my parents, which just came from a Chinese background, what, why am I doing with tea? Oh, really? So what do, <laughs> what's, Why is that? Because, you know, there's, it, the, the first thing they ask, oh, do you want to be a monk? Like, what is going on? Because you grew up drinking tea, what do you need to work in it so mm-hmm. hard? Mm-hmm. So it's a very interesting idea that our culture, and especially in Hong Kong, that, you know, if you are not going into the spiritual thing, you don't need to work in tea. Yeah, it's we, funny. We choose to. Yeah, I mean, I, <laughs> my, my parents' view is like, they're delighted that I found something I like to do. And they're very supportive, but, you know, we don't have any real history in our family of anything doing with Japan or anything particularly, you know, tea-centric. So it's one of those things, I think, when you have kids, these things just sprout out and you're like, all right, that didn't come from your mother or I, so (laughs) we'll just accept it for what it is. Tim, talk a little bit about how you got into tea then, just more than drinking it as a child or growing up. Well, I'm... Well, I grew up in Hong Kong, so I drink tea in a very young age without understanding it. It's just there all the time. But um, And I also am obsessed with teapots, and that's really how I got into it. I uh, collect a lot of teapots, but I never have good tea. So it's such a way to have beautiful vessel without anything inside that is actually can pair it well. So in 2000, um, the realization is, and I find out from good friends that if... I need to find something good, you have to go to the source. Um, You cannot rely on just a regular market because they will sell you anything and you will pay anything for that also if you don't invest in it. So, and that's how it started the journey of going in to going to the farm to understanding where the food is coming from, where the drink is coming from. It's almost very like you that you really want to know in a deeper level. And that's where the connections came. Um, and that connection is so beautiful that I want to share to the world. Um, it's, it's a very great moment that you connect to nature. And I think for me, tea is exactly that, that it connects to nature in a way that through a craftsman, someone had to pick it, someone had to make it, someone had to process it. As you said, Japan have a very different culture. Chinese have a different very culture. India have a very different culture, even Korea. But it's basically, you can see how that progressed. And there's no right or wrong. If someone wants to grow tea in the Hamptons, I think it will be welcoming because then you spread that ideas of making the world a little bit better. So it sounds like you almost got into tea. It was a search for purity and beauty, which I know we're friends, so I know uh, a little bit more about you than Zach. But just that search for the best of something is something that you are constantly looking for. So in when you started getting into tea and you went to the source, do you remember the first cup of tea that really blew your mind? I was really mad. I was extremely mad. Um, this was 2001, the first time I went to Taiwan, uh, going to the farm, and there's this tea called the Oriental Beauty, or, uh, um, or they call it the Champagne of Oolong. So I've been drinking that for a lot, probably 10 years of my life until I went there and I was served a real cup of oriental beauty. And I became so angry because 
I keep thinking I wasted ten years drinking. I don't know what that is, but now it presents itself. But then that kind of that turns into a good thing. That turns into like okay, so I know nothing about it, and I'm not trying to get the best tea because you would never can get the best tea. Um, so you had to keep searching for it. I think the better yourself, the more understanding, the more learning, the more friends you made, you make a better cup of tea. To be a student of tea, can you talk a little bit about that and being a Chinese tea master and the process by which you get your tea? Because I think it's very interesting. I have to correct. I, we are friends, but I'm not a Chinese tea master. No, I mean, you're not you. I know <laughs> okay. that you are not, but just in general, the whole that that other people that are that you are in contact with. They are master because mostly there's two kind of masters. One master is. Because they are judge for the province, and they are actually have to go through tests, and they have to go actually get certificates um, to get through that uh, particular um, name in a way. Because they have to grade the tea every time there's a province, there's a harvest. Someone had to grade them to make them okay. This is championship, whatever, whatever. And then there's the real master, which they don't call themselves master, but people just go and start being students of them. And those are the real master. And the difference between these two masters in China is basically、um, the judges of、uh, uh, particular province. They have their own area of expertise. If you're in the north, you might not be a master in the south.、Um, but in the other kind of master, which is I believe is a true master, is they have knowledge of the whole world, not just in China, they, in the whole world. And Because of that knowledge, they can actually merge all these ideas into one and actually make the tea experience even better. And I think that's how tea culture is grown into Japan culture is from China originally, if I might say that.、Um, that's correct. <laughs> and it grows into from a tall tree, and they harvest and they pick it, and it becomes a shrub. Tree is never a shrub, right? So things kind of keep going, and evolutions and all these kind of ideas apply into it, and became something that's beautiful in the north. So that's the true meaning. I think that somebody had to do that. No, nobody created this, and they had to be、uh, open-minded enough to keep going on that. There's no true, really high master in a way for me. I'm Andrea Wien, and you are listening to Meant to Be Eaten. Today we are talking tea, and we will be right back after this word from our sponsors. Ranch is a proud sponsor of the Heritage Radio Network. The Hearst family has been raising cattle on the rich, sustainable native grasslands of California's Central Coast for over 150 years. Piedra Blanca Rancho in San Simeon is the original Hearst Ranch, founded by George Hearst in 1865. George's son was the famous publisher William Randolph Hearst. In addition to being known for building the iconic Hearst Castle, William was, like his father before him, an avid rancher. In his words, 
I would rather spend a month at the ranch than any place in the world. Thanks to one of the largest land conservation easements in California history, a joint effort with the California Rangeland Trust, the American Land Conservancy, and the state of California, the working landscape at Hearst Ranch will be preserved forever. Learn more about Hearst Ranch at hearstranch.com. I'm Andrea Ween, and you are listening to Meant to Be Eaten. Today in the studio, I'm talking with Timothy and Zach. We are talking Chinese, Japanese, tea culture, and everything in between. So where I want to take this now is I'm curious the true meaning of tea to each of you, because I think it's so deeply personal for so many people, and I'm curious what, what it means to you and why you've dedicated your lives to really learning this medium. Should I start? Sure. Yeah, that's a, that's a lot to, to think about and to respond to, but I'll, I'll try my best. I mean, ultimately for me, it was uh, personally the sense of discovery that I think was such a big draw. Um, and it was seeing sort of yourself at the beginning of this long journey. It was, you know, the same with music for me that you have, you know, time and you have um, experiences ahead of you. And that was always something that uh, was very fascinating to me. And tea provides that, um, you know, at every turn and the ability to connect with a culture, um, you know, for, for, for me, tea is almost like the hub of a wheel and there's these spokes that shoot off of it. And specifically uh, Japanese tea and Japanese culture provides um, a framework that really excites me, you know, and tea is at the center of, you know, religion, culture, art, design, cuisine, you know, I mean, whatever avenue you want to explore, for me, tea was so clearly a link to those things. And uh, it kind of provided for me that that framework that I could, you know, learn more about design and minimalism and understanding the rustic beauty of objects. And that was part of tea and, you know, understanding cuisine and ingredients and how combining flavors, um, you know, creates, uh, you know, creates such an impactful experience for diners. And, it was like, I was like looking around, like, is this, it's like a joke, like it's all here. And I decided, you know, uh, I didn't maybe know all of that right in the, from the first step, but as you know, and I continue to be, you know, things are revealed over time and it just never lets you down in a sense. So that's kind of, you know, that meaning, um, for me is really based in that like limitless potential to, you know, follow my own interests and see how they, you know, develop through tea. And also, I think as as uh, Tim alluded to earlier, it's that connection to people and connection to culture. And, you know, you don't drink tea by yourself. It's a gathering. It's a, a way to, you know, have the, uh, as they say, ichigo, ichie in Japanese, which is <laughs> one one time, one meaning like this today. This will never be repeated. And tea has sort of brought us all here. So I find that to be, you know, uh, a, something really special as well. I think it's interesting because I hear you talking about this and both of you, the way that you speak about it is so beautiful and so fluid and there's so much, uh, there's so much beauty in it. And I think it's tough. I grew up in Ohio. You, you grew up in the Midwest as well. And I, I can't help but draw the parallel between us in the U.S. not having this type of depth to our culture in a way uh, that we don't have something that is so specific as tea that touches all of these different we areas. Bourbon. We have bourbon. <laughs> this is true. <laughs> but it's, you know, it's it, not everyone drinks bourbon and not everyone really, it's not, it, it isn't in, ingrained in the culture in the same way. Well, it's interesting. I mean, as a fellow Midwesterner growing up, you're right. I mean, in a sense there isn't, but there also, you know, it is, it's just 
looks so different. I mean, there's millions of people every day that, you know, have their ritual, how they consume tea. Um, and, you know, it, it may look a lot different than how Tim experiences tea or what it's like to be, you know, working in Japan. But uh, it, the fabric of it is there. And, and whether you say it's more developed or less developed, certainly America is young culturally. Our food culture is emerging, I guess you could say. And, and, and for me, absolutely, to your point, I think being able to connect with something much, much older than what I grew up around, you know, and if, you know, in, you know, looking at tea culture in Japan about the year 800 is when they're started to sort of, you know, you, you saw it develop. I mean, that's a long time and a lot of history to, to digest. So I think that, you know, is it one of the reasons I was so taken by it because I, you know, I can't access that where I'm from, you know, as far as I know, there was no tea fields in Minnesota, just corn. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's hope for us yet, then, is what I'm hearing. Tim, a little bit about what tea means to you. It's a hard question. I mean, it's a very personal. I think that's what's the beauty of tea meaning is to everyone. I think it really helps you to dig down inside and kind of find out who you are and why are we here for. I mean, not in the bigger questions of that. Um, Tea to me is, again, exactly what, what you were saying, that um, it doesn't have a border. Um, it's, all in, it's inclusive to everything. Um, to me, is of learning of myself. Um, that's the first thing that I had to say. You know, used to be young and very, you know, I have no patience. I want it right now. I want it here. I want the best. I think that's. I think a lot of people experience that culture right now. That you know we need it and fast news. I need it. I need more. But then we never really, really think what we have in front of us. And I think that's what T taught me in a way, and still teaching, continue teaching on on me on that side of it. Is everything is here? It's always been here. There's no boundary. There's no country. We all live in the same world, so there's no. We shouldn't be judging on okay, where did this come came from, or how do we make it? Um, but as long as we respect it, and for me, it it teaches me how to be humble, how to be slow down a little bit first, um, understand what's going on. Um, there's a very famous uh, uh, way of drinking tea: is you sip three times. Um, and that's based on the character of a Chinese character, taste. It's three mouths. So the first time we have a sip, we know that we're just doing something. The second mouth that you have in it, then you know that you're intaking something, you're accepting something. And the third mouth that you have is, then you realize that you're in that moment. So that's what the word character taste is in Chinese. And I apply that into tea because you really need to slow down, and that helps me a lot. And that's what I think a lot of people needed to, to see too, and that's what the tea gave to me. Zach, do you feel like having an outsider's point of view allows you greater insight in any way? You know, that's a really great point. I think, personally, and uh, speaking for myself, working in Japan, Japan is, uh, the food culture there is, is hyper-local, so... You can be spending time in Nagoya and, you know, your first time in Japan and you're eating miso soup every day and you're like, wow, I, I love miso soup. This is, I love Japan. The food's great. And then you go a hundred miles south and the miso's white and it tastes totally different. And you're like, whoa, what? I thought, you know, 
I thought this was Japanese food uh, across the board, but it's not. And with tea, it's the same way. Someone in Shizuoka near Tokyo or someone in Fukuoka in, in Kyushu have uh, access to different products. And an interesting thing about Japan is people primarily consume the products that grow near them in that local food economy. And, f- you know, the good thing is that they're drinking local and they appreciate it. But one of sort of the other sides of the coin is that they don't have a lot of experience with uh, with tea from other parts of Japan. And furthermore, often feel without knowing that their product is superior because that's what they grew up drinking. So um, I'm sort of, I, I don't have any, you know, I, I'm not from Japan. I don't have any any bias to, to what's good or what's real or what's fake, you know. what? So I, I can sort of, uh, you know, enjoy the all that there is, uh, you know, in Japan, all that's offered, and sort of view it in a way that I don't have maybe some of the blind spots uh, that you might have growing up. Like, my, for example, my wife um, is Japanese, and one of the first times we met, I made her tea, and she looked at me and she said, "What is this? Like, this is <laughs> like not." She was sort of, you know. The experience for her was so unique, like, oh, I've never had tea like this. And I said, oh, this is from Fukuoka, and she's from near, uh, near uh, Tokyo. And she felt like, wow, I have a lot to learn. And now she loves tea from Kyushu, but it's interesting to me that this happens often that I am actually able to show Japanese people something that they don't know about their own country just because, you know, I, I'm from outside and I sort of have a, a more of a macro view of, of the products that I work with, um, maybe more so than if I grew up there. Have you experienced any negativity or backlash at all from anyone in Japan who is also in love with tea? That not a little not to my face. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, I've you may not understand the topic. yeah right. I mean, I, I, as far as I know, I haven't. Um, I think you know Japan is a really unique place, and people are you know the incredible i mean they're supportive i've been you know it's it took me a while it took me two and a half years to really you know get below the surface enough for them to even understand why i was coming which was to try and purchase tea they thought i was just there to like take the factory tour and say hello (laughs) um but once i was sort of you know they understood my mission and kind of got a sense of my commitment i think that it's been nothing but appreciation and in japan for all the wonderful things you know that that they do they sometimes struggle with exporting their you know their culture in a meaningful and i think uh you know a a way that 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 feels um real you know often uh, things are sort of taken and turned into a character of japanese food and then sent around the world and i think that they saw you know that i was you know, in, on one sense, trying to pay the respect to the traditional methods that uh, how the teas are made should be stored, should be made, brewed, etc. But also, I wasn't there trying to re. You know, I wasn't wearing a kimono to the farm and pretending like I was this something that I wasn't. And I think more than anything, it's human to human. And if you know, if you can have a conversation, it, I never go there and think I'm talking to a Japanese farmer. I think I'm talking to a farmer. And I feel like I've been given that same respect in that they don't really care where I'm from. They're just, um, you know, supportive and excited that I'm able to tell their story, uh, quite literally in English, uh, to our customers here and share it on a stage that I don't think um, there's been so much access to previously. That seems to be a common theme of this show is just really the respect that people are showing. And that's, I think, when we talk about cultural appropriation, right, is that's the, the piece that's missing often when people get upset about that. But I do want to pose the question to you. Do you feel like there's any danger with the popularity of tea rising and people getting more interested in different types of tea that some of that 
respect gets lost based on commerce and just our global economy? Well, I think, well, just to continue what you just talked about, I think respect is important. I think that's the foundations of open up um, that world. Um, there's a lot of different way of respect. Um, you know, the Japanese culture is respect first, even though they might not 100% meaning it. It's still a form. It's a formal way of be polite, um, and then there's sincerity. Um, you have to be sincere to get into something that you're really interested in. Tea. If I go into tea and my my sincerity is to make a lot of money and destroy a lot of farm, there's still a sincerity in there. So I think that's need to be very defined on it. And you know, if we have the wrong ideas on. Or not truth to what that sincerity is, then it will be dangerous to a lot of different culture, not just culture, agricultures like tradition and everything. And we really need to learn and earn that.、Um, you know, just going to as example that you go into Japan,、um, first time they would say, "Oh, are you coming for a tour?" And you know, they would, and then you get really going deep into it. You really engage. And people feel that you don't. There's no language to that,、um, and it's important that we understand that we don't own anything. We have to go in and have a positive ideas of it. We want to spread the world、uh, what tea can do to us, because it happened to me and all three of us here. And how can we maintain? How can that be sustainable? How could how could we we not make it into a colonial? Plantations, or how can we just not destroy the environments? And I think that's something that we always had to think about. It we might not know until we really go into it, you know. Because one person cannot change. You have to have a whole village, at least, and later on the whole country to do it. Tim, you mentioned earlier that your parents didn't understand when you got into tea, but now, do you feel like tea connects you more deeply to your culture and your heritage? It. Connect me further than that now.、Um, you know, I'm so lucky that this is my 17 years in the tea business, and through this 17 years, that you know, I could be a millennial when I was. Like, I started really in in my early 20s on that, and I I kind of understand where the whole growth is until now,、um, and it it definitely opened up. A way that I approach my culture in a more sincere way, than looking at it like, oh, do I have to follow that? Do I really have to use the chopsticks, or, or do I actually kind of understand? Oh, why do I need to use that chopstick, or why do I have to drink that cup of tea like that? So, that gave me again that moment of understanding it, the three mouth of understanding things, and that's what really helps me on it to understand my culture more. Zach, do you feel like you had any trouble learning the intricacies of Japanese tea or Japanese culture when you were getting started? Any, any getting、stories? started? I still. <laughs> I mean, that's a that's don't a, be intimidated. Yeah, I mean, absolutely.、Um, again,、uh, Japan is a really, really fascinating place. Wonderful, and I, you know, I, while it's not my home, I mean, there's nowhere else outside of the United States in the in the planet that I feel more at home,、um, obviously, than here when I'm traveling. So. I but I do it's it's like anything it reveals itself over time but there's just sometimes you know you try and take a perspective on something and it's not revealed to you immediately and Japan is sort of famous for that where I always compare you know you 
in New York, you know, you get off a plane, you step into JFK and like you're here, you're in, you know, you're in New York. That's just you're you're a New Yorker for all intensive purposes. There's always as an outsider in Japan, there's always a um, you know, a feeling of being on the opposite side of the window a little bit. And, you know, there's moments where you, you, you pierce that. There's moments where you get below the surface. But as soon as you do, something else reveals itself. There's always, you know, uh, that peeling back, I guess, they like, a, like an onion. You know, there's so many layers. But I don't really, you know, sometimes it's frustrating. I'll be, I'll be honest. You know, there's times where you feel a little bit, you know, like it, it can be challenging in, 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 in a lot of ways. But at the same time for me, I, I'm committed. So I like going down the road, even, you know, even in times where it's a struggle or you're, you know, you feel that, um, you know, you just don't get, I mean, doing business, is it's a totally different way of doing business. I mean, you can go uh, on the business side, like you can go to a meeting and spend an hour talking to people and nobody says anything. I mean, it's like this roundabout way of discussing and sort of looking at a problem or looking at what we're trying to do. And you leave the meeting. And for me, I feel like, wait, nobody, nobody said anything. We didn't get anywhere. But that's this building consensus that's so unique and fascinating. And it took, that was one of the things I struggled with a lot there was, hey, someone needs like, let's make up our minds. Let's say like at the end of the meeting, this is what we're going to do. And then at the end, everyone's like patting each other on the back. That was a great meeting. And I feel like, I honestly don't feel like we actually got anywhere. So that, that type of stuff still, um, it can be difficult, but I'm, you know, there's, you know, I, when I'm there, I'm there, I'm not, you know, I can't put my, you know, my terms on anything. I'm just there to sort of, you know, navigate the landscape the best I can. And, um, yeah, that's what I'm trying to do. It's very interesting. You approach it like a musician's that, you know, you believe in it, you do a gig whatever happened happens right you yeah. like focus on it sure i mean when you're improvising in a gig and you you try and force the issue of the no, no. we're going here we're playing this song and, and, and people are like no we're not and <laughs> that's that's that rub can be part of the beauty and also sometimes you know not every gig is great so sometimes you leave feeling like we were not on the same page you know so uh but it's 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 challenging but it's also uh, i mean obviously it's there's a lot of growth in there for hopefully for both parties i feel like i'm i'm growing so we've talked a little bit about the right way to drink tea and how there isn't a right way to drink tea but tim we did find an interview with you where someone had requested to have a bachelorette party at mandarin tea room and you said we don't do that kind of thing here that's not there that's not what we do here so what when you think about the type of experience that you're trying to cultivate around tea, what does that look like? Well, again, it's just going back to your first question to me. It's like, what is the difference between the ceremony and what I do, right? So a lot of people don't have the idea of what the ceremony and or tea tasting it. And your intentions coming in is different than what we went into a wrong gig. And, and you know, I'm playing, playing jazz and somebody playing like hot rock. So it's <laughs> different. Yoga. And, and, <laughs> And you know, I'm not I'm not trying to exclude anything, but it's just um, when people want to come in and have a tea party, um, it's great, but that you can do it anywhere. Um, but when people come in to have a tea tasting, then you have to respect the tea, because if the conversation is not about the tea, then there's no conversation at all. So um, I know I know that is hard in a way, um, but. We don't have a lot of time, or I don't have a lot of time in my life, and I think every moment of gathering is important. Every moment of gathering for tea is, is special. Um, so you want to actually try to make sure that moment is not wasted on 
have some tea or have some champagne, and then you know the caviar came out. It's not like that. So I I would I try to kind of focus on um, bringing that ideas um, to life. Zach, is that similar to the type of environment that you try to cultivate at Cattle? Yeah, I mean, I think our setting up the space in itself sort of people can, you know, I find that the way that our shop looks and feels and sounds and smells, uh, people are more likely to sort of tune in. Um, We remove a lot of, you know, maybe the obstacles to getting someone's attention that you might have in like a chain store in a mall or something like that where, you know, you don't feel like you've transformed into a, a different space. So for us, the space is really important for sort of getting people in the frame of mind. Um, and yeah, I mean, we have a point of view, you know, we're not, you know, we, we try and be as open to, you know, everyone's life experience as possible, but, you know, to Tim's point, it's true. Like the focus, uh, we want the focus to be on the tea, on the flavor, on the experience of the room with the, with the people in it at that moment. Um, but, you know, at the same time, we're not trying, you know, we don't want people to feel like they, you know, are, you know, in some, you know, foreign experience that they're, they're, they're not comfortable with. Yeah. You know, like that's, I mean, I think that uh, serving tea and the idea of hosting tea and being a host is understanding your customers. So to that point, I'm not going to do the exact same thing for every person. I mean, hopefully part of what people enjoy about coming to see us is as a host, I can get a sense of, you know, maybe a person or three people or a group that come in and sort of tailor the experience to them in a sense. Maybe, you know, they're talking about something when they come in that I can reference, but certainly like, you know, we're, we're focused on the tea where, you know, I want it to be educational and also enjoyable, you know? So one last question to wrap it up here, say someone is listening to this and they're like, man, I don't know anything about tea. I've been drinking tea. Maybe, maybe my, my cup of Lipton or something, but how do what, what are your tips for someone just starting out who's interested in learning more about tea? And then also tips for someone who feels like they know a little bit but wants to take it to the next level. Um, yeah, that's a great question. I think that if you're just starting out, the and, and this goes throughout, I mean, but most importantly when you're starting is to drink as much tea as possible and to really let yourself be open because I think people get really, you know, they meet a charismatic tea person who tells them all this stuff and they feel like they've been transmitted the holy grail of tea and then immediately these walls go up. They're like, oh, no, no, this guy told me that I'm only supposed to drink it from here and this and that. And that to me is the most detrimental thing in discovery. I mean, you should be open to drinking it all and making up your own mind. Um, and, and the more experience your palate has, you know, be it wine or tea or whiskey or whatever, the more you can really be, uh, you have confidence to, to understand what you like and then make your choices based on, you know, being led by your palate more than by, um, you know, what someone says. Cause it's, it's true. I mean, any of these things where the leverage is in the salesperson, cause the, the customer doesn't know people will use all sorts of things to tell you this is this and this is that. But when you can taste, that's the most important thing. Then you can make up your mind. And I guess actually that's my to someone getting into tea and also someone who's already into tea is the same same answer. Just keep tasting. Yeah. Well, that's no again. That's no way of 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 kind of dissecting down of what is proper or not proper. I mean, just look at us in front of us. We have a tea tasting right at what we're doing right now, and it's beautiful. And the tea was amazing. Um, I think there's no rules. I think. Um, well, let me. There's one one time I have a Japanese tea master. That's the first time I ever met a Japanese tea master come in to have tea with me, and he brought some amazing Japanese tea. 
and I don't have the vessel. I don't have Japanese vessel. And then he looked at what I have, and he just picked up a guy wine, which is a leather cup, and he made this 20 years old aged Japanese tea using a guy wine. And it was fantastic. And we just start laughing. Um, and I think that's, that's really summed it up that, you know, you just need to put some leaf in something and put some hot water in it and try it. And you never know what it comes out to it. And it's always great if you pay attention to it. Um, one of the masters that I have that taught me tea, he basically, how he drink tea is he has a bowl and he would just select one leaf and he just throw in that bowl and put some hot water in it. And that's it. And there's, that's the easiest way you can do it. And that's, there's, it's not intimidating at all. As long as you appreciate it, as long as you try it, as, as sex said, try as much as you can. Um, and whatever makes you happy, there's no, there's no point. There's not a, a tea sommelier on this kind of thing. That right. It's like, okay, 97 points now, Ron right. Parker coming out. But it's nothing like that. You just have to like it first. Yeah, it's easy in the West to fall prey to titles. And, you know, it's just, again, getting back to the point of when a customer doesn't have the, you know, a lot of experience or information, it's really easy to apply a title to yourself or to, you know, explain that I'm, you know, I'm a tea sommelier or I'm a tea master. And, you know, the actual accreditation for those things, I nobody really knows. So I'd be, you know, and this isn't to take away from anyone who is or is not a master or a sommelier. But you don't certainly don't need to be. I mean, someone who's invested in it and invests their life in it and seems like a pretty good person, that's who I, I'd want to buy tea from. Gentlemen, this has been great. Thank you so much for coming on the show. If people want to stay in touch with you on social media, how can they find you? Yeah, you, well, you, in off social media, we have a store um, at 150 Ainsley Street in Williamsburg. It's right off the Lorimer stop. We would love first and foremost to see you in person come by have a cup of tea if you'd like to check us out online um, we have a website it's k-e-t-t-l.co and we're most active on instagram where we're at at kettle k-e-t-t-l-t t-e-a and you can find me through both of you <laughs> <laughs> we'll link to it in the show notes as well. yes. but um, um you can also just check out the mandarinsteerroom.com Great. Well, thank you so much for listening to Meant to Be Eaten. I am your host, Andrea Ween. And don't forget, you can follow our show on Instagram and Twitter at Meant to Be Eaten. Until next time, if it's steeped low and slow, remember, it's meant to be eaten. Slurpeth. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network food radio supported by you for our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events subscribe to our newsletter enter your email at the bottom of our website heritageradionetwork.org connect with us on facebook instagram and twitter at heritage underscore radio heritage radio network is a non-profit organization driving conversations to make the world a better fairer more delicious place and we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.